Again, it's so great uh, to have all of you here today. It's really a, a wonderful blessing. And uh, especially uh, because I'm sure you know that I saved my longest homily for Easter Sunday. So that you still came means a lot to me. <laughs> um, now, I'd like to start with this. It's important that we, in at least a very rudimentary fashion, can tell the story of Easter, okay? And so I'm going to present it in a way that you little ones out there hopefully can kind of get it, and you older ones can hopefully kind of get it too, um, but that you would remember it to tell the, the little ones, right? Because it's our job, not, my, not just mine, but also yours, that the kids know, and they know what is this all about. Okay, so let's... I'm going to frame it this way. In the beginning, God created all things, and he created it very, very good. Because God cannot create anything bad. The only thing he can create is good. This does not imply a contradiction in God's power. You can leave this out for the kids. But, but you know, God can't do things that are intrinsically impossible. So God creates everything good. But then our ancestors made some bad decisions with the goodness they were given, and they sinned, right? They chose evil at times. And what this did is it kind of messed up some of that goodness. It didn't mess it all up completely, but it messed it up enough that it needed to be fixed. But how do you fix all of creation? How do you fix all of the people who've ever existed and will exist. How do you do that? What could we possibly do to fix that, especially in our relationship with God? Well, now God knew this. God knew we couldn't fix it. He knew it was beyond our power. But it wasn't beyond his power to fix it. So he chose to send his son, who had always been with him, his son who is God, he chose to send his son to become one of us so that with us, he could fix it. And what that, what that meant was he needed to sacrifice his life for us because this is the greatest act of love, to give up our life for someone else. And this is what Jesus did for us. He gave up his life for us on the cross so that all of us could be saved, so that what was broken would be fixed and would be healed. We all need to make sure to remember that story because that is why we should be joy-filled today. You might say, well, Father, you don't understand. I mean, my mother got us up and she said, you're gonna dress in your best clothes and you're gonna get to Mass. I don't care if we haven't been to Mass for eight weeks or whatever, we're going to Mass. You might say, Father, you don't understand. Oh, yes, I do because <laughs> that was my mother, and that was my experience growing up. You might say, well, Father, when did you start to enjoy going to Mass? Oh, about four years ago. <laughs> just like anyone else. You know, and the reality is that our lives are just filled with this uh, imperfection, right? And, and sometimes we make uh, bad decisions, uh, sometimes bad decisions affect us. Sometimes suffering comes from without. Sometimes it emanates from within because of decisions we have made. But I really, truly believe 
To become a joy-filled person is a decision. We decide to be joy-filled. You know, coming in today and you think, gosh, I, can't, I don't have anywhere to sit. Somebody sat in my pew. <laughs> I told you it was going to be busy. Somebody parked in my parking spot. Okay, there are 2,500 people here. That's amazing. Isn't that good? I mean, even though the last mass, actually the last mass with 2,700, we had 2,000 people watching online. It's amazing that in the world today, so many people still want to connect with God. It's amazing. Yeah, so, you know, the parking space is gone and you're sitting outside. It's okay. The goodness overwhelms, right? So the way that we look at something matters so much. It changes our entire perspective. And it allows us to embrace joy and the goodness that is inherent. One of the things we can get ourselves uh, sort of uh, cornered into is sort of believing life just happens to us, that, that we're sort of victims of life, right? And, and, and no doubt, all of us experience some sort of victimization from without at times throughout our life. It's just part of what's going to happen. And sometimes it's horrible. I mean, truly. But it happens, and it's a reality. But I think that if we get too stuck in this sort of idea that life happens to us, then we also expect that joy should happen to us. You see what I mean? As though joy is something that comes from without, that other people sort of owe us or ought to give to us if we have that disposition. But I think the, the reality is, the greater reality, and the path to true joy is recognizing that joy is a choice, I can enter into my experiences choosing joy. And I think about your parents, right? I mean, I know, I know how it works, right? There's husbands or wives and children who are here, and they, they got strong-armed. <laughs> Good job, parents, by the way. And kids, you might look at that and say, ah, you know, I wanted to sleep in or watch golf. <laughs> but you know what? You have parents who love you. They adore you. And they just want the best for you. And that's all I want. And that's all the church wants. That's all that any of us want. Is for you to know joy and love and goodness. This is what God wants for you as well. But he wants it for you in a way that some of us perhaps don't realize. So we remember that God created all things good and he continues to do so. Every single human person is created by God. God creates the soul, and God cannot create something evil or lacking in that goodness. Everything he creates is good. Every single one of you, and I don't mean this sort of just therapeutically, I mean this objectively, every single one of us are created good. You are good because of what God has done. And rightfully, you would say, well, Father, I've made some bad decisions throughout life. Okay, but that does not take away your inherent goodness, not that goodness which was given by God. And that's where the goodness begins. But then he has something else planned. He has something else to give you. And it's something that he didn't even give our first parents before the fall. And what he wants to give each one of us is himself. He does it first in baptism, 
when our souls are configured, right? Spiritually, we are configured in a very special way to receive divine life, his presence. It continues with confirmation. It continues with the Eucharist. We receive every, every Sunday. We're able to every day if we want to. We're able to receive Jesus himself. You see, what God has in store for you is not just that you would be good. He wants you to be great. He has greatness in store for every single one of us. It's true. This is the church's teaching. It's what we believe. And it's not because of something we achieve. It's really about something we allow. Namely, we allow him to dwell within us. We allow him to make us great. We allow his grace to transform us and redeem us. This is a greatness beyond what we will ever achieve and experience in this earth, on this earth, but we will experience a bit. But what he has done is he has opened up heaven for us. This life is going to be filled with those ups and downs, suffering and sacrifice. But even in the suffering and sacrifice are transformed into glory because of his grace. And when it's transformed, we look back upon it as gift because it gave a space for God's power to be made manifest in our lives. And this is what he wants to do for every single one of you, to manifest his power and glory in you so that for all of eternity, you will enjoy the splendor, the goodness, and the glory of God. Please stand.